Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. After three years of work, our follow-up to the Meat Eater Fish and Game Cookbook is here. It's the Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, wild game recipes for the grill, smoker, campfire, and camp stove. Here is your book for everything that's best cooked or eaten outside, from grilling to open fire cooking to Dutch ovens to smokers to barbecue to backpacking meals to how to pull off the perfect fish fry with pit stops along the way for lessons about Ice Age cooking methods and the best five ways to construct a cooking fire you can be proud of. And of course, we're focusing on wild game and fish here with over 100 recipes, including stuffed venison burgers three ways, wild duck with ahi verde sauce, a jerky made with cola, a gin and tonic made with fire charred lemons, and grilled frog legs made with a sticky sweet sauce. This ain't your normal cookbook, so be prepared to be surprised. Get your copy now. For more info, visit TheMeatEater.com or buy it wherever books are sold. Spring is here. And across the West, that means spring bear seasons are opening up. While many people will be out there hunting them spot and stock, it can also be very effective at calling bears in. That's why today I brought on Douglas Bowes, the author of The Ultimate Guide to Black Bear Hunting and the creator of the Ultimate Predator Calls app. He's very well versed on everything black bear hunting, but today I brought him on here to talk specifically about calling bears. Welcome to the show, Doug. Thanks for having me, Jason. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for being here. How's everything going in, in, uh, in your life? And then give the listeners the two-minute version to who is Douglas Bowes before we get started. Everything in life is is going well. Thank you. Um, just a little bit about myself. Uh, I was born and raised in Washington. I started hunting at the age of 12, um, usually just deer on the weekends. Uh, and I didn't get into black bear hunting until my late 20s. Um, and, you know, I, I, my brother kind of got me into it and then I kind of branched out on my own and, um, I'm basically just a, a middle-class family man with a house and a kid and a couple dogs, um, much like the rest of you. And I just enjoy hunting, enjoy the outdoors, um, and like to share my knowledge with anyone who will listen. Yeah. Well, we appreciate it. And, uh, can you tell us specifically kind of how you got you know, you're, you're laser focused on, you know, you, you do hunt everything, but you kind of became laser focused on black bears and, and, you know, uh, specifically black bears. Yeah. So I got my first black bear kind of by chance, the way a lot of people get their, um, black bears that, you know, they'll buy a tag just in case they see one deer hunting. And that's kind of what happened with me is that I, bought a tag and I was out deer hunting and I got dropped off and I was, I was walking this ridge line and I happened to see a bear across this gully and I thought, Oh man, you know, there's, there's a sweet color phase bear. And, um, I took a shot and I dropped it and I ended up killing it. So then I called up my pop on the radio and I was like, Hey, I just shot a bear, you know, come get the truck and let's get this thing out of here thinking it was huge. And so I scurried down there and 
you know, as a bear hunter, you'll come to know the term uh, ground shrinkage. And I realized that it wasn't yep, a huge yep. black bear. It was, you know, an average, it was a smaller bear. It was a sow, but it was a color phase with a beautiful coat. Um, and But that just kind of started the fuel for the fire that is bear hunting for me. Um, and so that started it. And then as, you know, kind of time progressed, well, let me just back up for just a second. That was really the first bear that I had seen in the wild. Um, I hadn't seen bear before that. Um, and so I, I wanted to learn more about how to spot bear, how to find them, what to look for and, and stuff like that. And so that really just kind of fueled that fire. I wanted to know more about them, how to hunt them. Um, they're such a cool animal. They demand such respect. Um, and so that's, that's really where it started was that first bear. Gotcha. Gotcha. So uh, we're going to roll right into the questions here, um, Doug, which we typically do. We'll, we'll take a couple of user questions. I'll take a crack at, at kind of my answer and then see if you have anything to add. And then we'll jump into that discussion where I'm going to kind of ask you all the questions I have for you or kind of um, can relate to and just see how you do things compared to the way we do things. So um, the first question, and actually I'm going to back up. I'm going to let you know that if you want to submit your own questions to the podcast, you can email us here at ctd at phelpsgamecalls.com and uh, we'll we'll scour the the emails um, try to pick out your good questions and then go ahead and answer them here on the podcast but for today um, the first question is what predator calls do you carry so for me um, it depends on the time of the year but um, spring um, late spring when you know the fawns and calves are starting to drop we'll, we'll carry a fawn in distress we'll carry um, you know a calf call or a calf in distress call and then just kind of your standard um you know, rabbit distress. We'll carry a cottontail. We'll carry a jackrabbit. Um, I haven't got too much into it. We do have some, you know, bear cub stuff I've been playing around with, but I've never went out, you know, with bear cub um, and, you know, tried to target bears with those. Um, so that's kind of kind of a real quick and dirty answer. You know, both open read and closed read is, is what we kind of use. What do you use, Doug, when you're, you're out there um, just in general? And I'm sure we'll get into more bear specific stuff here in a little bit. Sure. In general, I, I prefer closed read. I have open read stuff. I usually have one of those in my pack. Um, the question is, is kind of similar to what, what does a fisherman carry? You know, it, it, for me, um, predator calling is almost like an addiction. So if I see like a new call that I might not have, especially like a new hand call or something, I, I usually pick it up just for a, a different variance of, of calls to have. But I, I usually always have like a call in my pack and a call around my neck. And I put the one in my pack in case I forget the one around my neck. And generally both of yeah, those are yeah. closed reads. And usually it's like a rabbit squall or um, just any sort of nasty raspy sound that you can make that would that would pique the interest of the predator. So, I mean, it could be a rabbit. It could be a fawn distress. The very first time I ever called in a bear was actually with a, um, a, a, a calf um, distress kind of call or really just a calf mew. I was trying to call in a, a bull elk, um, and that was all I had on me, so that's what I was using. Um, so yeah, that I usually just have um, like a rabbit distress, but both of them are closed reads usually. Gotcha. I think we can all agree that bear hunting uh, may be easier if you don't try to use a call. You may be able to correct me or have different experiences, but you know, if I was going out just trying to kill a bear, I would let my glass do the majority of the the you know walking, and I would do more spot and stock. But the question was, what is the most important thing? Um, when it comes to being a successful bear hunter. So let's take maybe calling out of the equation. Like if you just wanted to go out and kill a bear, what would you do? And I would just, 
you know, first you have to be in the area with bears. So for us around here in industrial timberlands or if I'm in the high country is like follow their food source at that time of the year, whether they're pilling trees, whether they're in jackfruit patches, whether they've got, you know, berries are on that time of year, whatever it is, is, is getting the area where those bear like to be and then just spend a whole bunch of time glassing. Um, if you think you've sat there long enough, sit there for an extra 30 minutes um, and, and just let your glassing, you know, do do the majority of the work because we've we've been on many many bears especially here in western washington where the cover's so thick you can't see you know everything you need to see and that bear can be sitting there for 20 30 minutes you know peeling a tree um chewing on the same berry bush whatever it may be and so we've just found patience which i'm not great at uh, but that's probably the most important thing you know aside you know taking calling out of the the mix is just spend a lot of time in the bears area um, doing a lot of glassing and so your answer to that is basically patience and glassing. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's what I, if, if we're not talking about calling. Sure. No. And you kind of stole my, stole one of my tips. So, you know, I wrote down patience and persistence um, and they kind of go hand in hand. Um, but, you know, like the number one saying that you'll hear, especially for beginning bear hunters is find the food, you'll find the bears. And yes and no, that's kind of true. And we can get into that more later, but I, I really encourage people to have patience when they're hunting bears and be persistent in it. And the reason I say that is like sometimes people they'll, they'll predator call or they'll say, Hey, you know, I predator called for 20 minutes and nothing showed up. So I gave up or I, I've predator called for a half an hour, three times and nothing happened. Well, you're losing patience with yourself. You might not have seen anything come in, but something might have came in. You just didn't see it. Yeah. Um, and so I, I just encourage people with patience. And then the persistence aspect is, you know, you will hear somebody, oh, I, I shot a bear and um, I lost the blood trail or, you know, there, there wasn't much blood. And so, I, you know, I, I, I looked for three hours and then I didn't find nothing. Well, I, I encourage people, especially with bear, to have persistence in tracking um, because the hair and the, the fat of a bear kind of clog up that entry and exit wound. Yep. And it's not uncommon for bear not to bleed a ton because they have such, you know, thick coats on. Um, they're not like a deer elk that have a very form-fitting um, hide. And so persistence, be persistent with it. Don't give up. So let's jump into the discussion here, uh, Doug. So we've got a lot of similarities between you know, the old ways that we used to hunt bears or the old way I used to hunt bear where I would get up on a landing, get up in the high country, sit down on a very, very good, you know, um, glassing knob and just let your glass do all the work. Whereas if we're going to turn this into, we want to go out and specifically target a bear with our calls. Um, there's going to be a lot of similarities, but there are going to be some differences. And then that's really what I want to dive into here with, with you today during this conversation. So you know, calling bears, you can, you can do it anywhere from the spring seasons um, all the way through fall seasons. And one of the things I want to really hit on is knowing where to be at that time. And so, in my opinion, um, that is 100% determined by the food sources. Um, so, you, can you tell me a little bit about, like, how you focus on food sources, what you're looking for as far as, you know, like, pilled sap trees, um, you know, the berries are on, you know, calving and, and fawn time, like they switch to a meat diet and then they switch back to a berries. You know, if you're in Eastern Washington, you know, they may be in the onions or the sunflowers, like go into a little bit of how, if you're going to call for a bear, how you start to think about their food sources and how that helps you determine like where you're going to be. 
Sure, no problem. So, you know, that, that kind of goes back to um, find the food, find the bears. And so in the springtime, let's just start at the beginning of the season. In the springtime, the first thing to kind of come available for them to eat is grassy areas. Um, you know, like old logging roads, um, southern fates and slopes, stuff that gets a lot of sun and some water. So I focus on fresh shoots of green grass. And then from there, um, usually like skunk cabbage will start to show up. And as the, as the month kind of progresses, that sugary sap, the cambium layer in trees, that will start to come up and then the bears will start to peel those. Um, and so in the spring, I'm looking for that, that early food source. And a good key to finding those food sources, especially in, in areas with uh, 5 to 10 to 15-year-old trees, and when I say trees that they're peeling, make a C out of each of your hands, like the letter C, and then put them together. And that's about the size of the tree that they start to peel. And then you bring that, those, that C apart in your hands a couple of inches, you know, it's, it's about that size. Um, they're not huge trees, they're younger trees. And what they do is they'll, they'll peel those trees and they eat that cambium layer because it's a sugary substance that is an early food source. And so in your hikes, say you're shed hunting or, or fishing, whatever it might be, as you're wandering around the woods, keep an eye out for hillsides that have like dead red trees or dying yellow trees or yep. um, tr- trees that are obviously peeled. And you can see examples of this online or in my book or wherever it may be. But they, they peel that right down to the ground. And what that does is, not every time, but lots of times, it will kill that tree. And I've seen bears strip, you know, seven, eight trees within an hour. And so you can imagine the damage that several bear um, can do to a timber stand um, through the course of a month or two while they're doing that. Um, but the, that, that yellow and that red coloration that I'm talking about in the trees, that should be kind of a clue to, hey, there was a spring bear in here tearing things up. Um, you know, the year before or the year prior. Yep. So maybe a couple yep. years back. So that's that's a, a point to start. Um, and so in the spring, that's kind of where I start. And then once I kind of find food sources, I'm looking for sign. I'm looking for scat. I'm looking for tracks in the mud. Like anytime I walk by a mud puddle or something like that, I'm looking for tracks. Um, yep. And once I find sign, and hopefully not a lot of people, because that's another key. Lots of times bears don't, you know, they don't like to be around a lot of people. So if I can find areas that's kind of secluded, that with not much hunting pressure, that's that's what I'm looking for. Um, so yeah, that's that's yeah. kind of how I start to look for it. Now, do you want me to go into fall there real quick too? Yeah, we can. I'm just going to touch on um, the jackfir thing that you had mentioned. Those you know those young trees, which you know I refer to as like jackfir patches. They're you know anywhere from ten to maybe 20 years old. Um, you know, we do a lot of that when we're, when we're looking at elk rubs, you know, and so if you're looking across say a, a jack for, um, you know, a grown up jack for patch and you've got, you know, trees that are dead with no needles, that bear was probably there two years ago. Um, potentially red needles. You can, you know, assume that it was last year or potentially two years ago. Yellow was last year. And then, you know, green is obviously still alive. And so you can start to put together a little bit of a pattern like, all right, there have been bears here for obviously more than three years. They're used in the area. It's probably got a high density. It's probably a good spot to focus your time if you're trying to bear hunt, you know, spring or fall. Um, so I just wanted to kind of add to that. Like you can put together a pretty good timeline, like, you know, the number of bears that are in the area plus if they've been there within the last two or three years. 
Yeah, and usually, you know, usually if they're there in one spring, they were there a couple of springs prior, or they'll be there a couple of springs after, provided not a whole lot's changed. Because those trees are going to remain that kind of same size for the next, yep. you know, several years. And so that can be a good spot to go back to. And, you know, I've mentioned it before on another podcast, but there's a lake right by where I live, and there's there's a hill outside the lake. And you can actually see, like, now they're they're completely dead, but when I moved here, they were yellow, and then they turned red. But you could almost follow the path of the bear from the ridge line all the way down to the lake where he stripped the trees. Yep. It's, you know, it's just it's interesting to watch. But, yeah, just be aware of that. And even when I'm driving, man, I'm driving around looking. If I see red flashes of a dead tree or something on a hillside, I'll stop and take notice, or I'll get out and check to see if, if that's what caused the death of that tree. Gotcha. Yeah. And then let's, let's dive in a little bit to how the food source changes from that early spring, you know, the, the bright green grasses, the new shoots, the bark um, of the trees. And then we start to roll into a little bit of, you know, that mid to late spring, early summer where they will, at least the black bears in this area, switch their diet to fawns and calves. Um, and then we'll, we'll roll into like the berries and stuff that we start to focus on huckleberries and, you know, low, low blackberries, blueberries and stuff, you know, moving more into the fall. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes food sources can change by the month by or even by the week, and sometimes uh, in the late fall, almost by the day. Um, you know, so as things progress, as things heat up, everything starts to become green, and that gets more and more difficult to be able to focus on a food source as to where that bear could be. Um, so when everything is kind of greened up like that, that's where they really kind of focus on stripping those trees. And so that's where I look for, and they'll do that for like a month, month and a half, maybe even to um, be stripping those trees for a bit. So that's when I kind of focus on that, especially. And then by then you're also kind of getting into calving season, like you said. Um, and so that's, that's a nice time to, to predator call if you're up to it. Um, and then, you know, shortly after that, the berries will start to show up. Um, it's not, you know, not long that the salmon berries start to pop in. Uh, huckleberries will start to get ripe shortly thereafter. And so, but, and then, you know, in, in early fall in like August, there's food everywhere and that can make it kind of difficult to focus on, all right, where are the bear hanging out? Because there's brush and there's berries and, and stuff everywhere. And then as, as August progresses, you know, different type of, of berries come in. And so I almost relate it lots of times to um, like a, like a, like a half pipe for a, for a skateboard, you know, at the, at the very bottom, you've got food that's starting to grow. Um, and then as, as things progress, more and more food comes out. And then as, as fall gets later and later into winter, then that food just kind of drops back down with early fall. You definitely want to focus on, on berries, on, um, cooler areas because the temperature is going to be warmer. The bear are getting warm. Um, they're going to want to be in those cool Creek draws, um, and, and, and I usually focus my hunts, my hunt times in the, in the mornings and in the evenings. Um, yep. but you know, as, as, as fall progresses, um, things can fade away. So salmon berries, they kind of die out first. The huckleberries will kind of leave eventually. And then real brushy blackberries, they'll come in. So you, you really need to spend time and it changes per area, it changes per region. So you just spend time out in the woods, wherever you live and, and figure out what's ripe and when it's ripe because that will that will dictate where you should be hunting bears because i might not be hunting bears in in spring peel damage 
uh, tree stands in the summer because there might not be necessarily a ton of berries in that specific area. I might be in a completely different area. So the bear, you know, they, they roam where the food is and that's what you need to do. Don't get stuck focusing on, well, they were here in the spring. They got to be here now. That's not necessarily true. Or they're here in the fall and they got to be here now. That's not necessarily true either. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more with that. You know, it's, it's super cliche and, and it, you know, it sounds oversimplified, but you can't kill a bear if you're not hunting where the bears are at at that time. So, uh, you, know, you got to find that, find fresh shine, fresh scat um, tracks, you know, lay eyes on them and then, you know, get to that level or that area uh, or that food source really. Um, so with that, that said, you kind of already alluded to my next question for you is that bears become full or satiated differently at different times of the year. And with that in mind, are there better times to call bears versus times that it's going to be very difficult to call bears based on what they're you know, their fuel gauge is telling them, um, and how much they're able to eat. I like to call bears when there's less food around. So in early spring and then in later fall, but that doesn't mean it won't work when there's plenty of food around. For example, I've, I've predator called bears before where I had one coming in, you know, like on a string. And then he ran into a big pile of huckleberries and he could care less about me or my squalling whatsoever. He just sat there eating huckleberries like the rest of the time. And I was like, all right, whatever. That's, that's cool. Um, yep. but then again, last year I was predator calling in mid August and there was blackberries all over the place. And I had a bear come in right at 45 minutes at 20 yards. And that's the bear I took that year. So in general, if there's less food around, they're more likely to come to a call in my opinion. Now that can change, you know, I think as, as you hunt bear, you'll realize that bear, I, I wouldn't say are individuals, but they have their own kind of personality or or individualistic traits, I guess. Some bear will come running into a call. Some will sneak. You know, some are more aggressive than others. Um, and so that really just kind of depends. You know, and I always say, if, if you're in an area that looks bearish, whether it be in the spring or the fall or whatever it may be, and when I say bearish, I mean, it looks like it holds bear. You know, as a deer hunter, you can look at a valley or something and be like, man, that looks like that holds, holds some deer in there. Or a bass fisherman you know, if you see a submerged log in a lake, you're like, yeah, there's probably a bass under that log. If a place looks bearish to you, those are the type of places I like to predator call. Even if you're not seeing something, a lot of the areas that we hunt, it's super brushy. Like, you know, it's, it's 20 feet tall of brush. You can't really see what's going on. Predator calling allows you to knock things loose and hopefully see something come in, the chance to have a shot. And so that's, that's why I enjoy predator calling because you never know What's going to come in could be a coyote, bobcat, cougar, bear, anything. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and we have did the majority of our spring hunting on the East side, more specifically in the blues, um, where they've got such, such an, you know, uh, an overabundance of food there in the blues, you know, when spring hits. And so we've always wondered, we have tried some sets and we always carry our predator calls, but you know, it's, it's really set up for spot and stock. But I wonder, you know, in those situations where they have so much grass, and so much to eat early in spring as they follow that snow line up. Like I'd be curious to go back with an intent to call on a bear. Like if you could actually even get them to pull off of the, the wild onions and, and you know, the, the sunflowers and whatnot that they're just, they, they can never run out. They don't need to go chase or waste any energy chasing a deer or a calf around, you know? Um, and, and so in those situations, we, we've just, you know, like the, with the intent to kill a bear, we just have not picked up the call or, 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 you know, we've tried to maybe get one out, you know, a boar, a boar we wanted to kill out of like a thick brush patch. But the majority of the time, I think even early spring in those situations, they're just 
they're not super interested. I would agree that, you know, the, the food might keep them locked down. How long are you calling for? You know, I, I grew up on the days where like it was the Wayne Carlton calling all bears, you know, VHS tape. We would, we uh-huh. would pop it in and that. And so he just said, sit for a long time. And when you think you're done calling, sit for another 30 minutes, you know? So I would say our normal sets are, you know, an hour plus with a half hour wait at the end before we get up and move. Um, you know, and, and I just, maybe we can't see it steep. It's real broken country. I don't know if maybe stuff has come in. We haven't seen it. Um, all of my calling successes actually came in the fall when I'm trying to call elk in and these, you know, these black bears are looking for an easy meal. Um, so I've just always wondered that, you know, like the food obviously affects it. You're not going to, I don't think you're going to call a, a, a bear that's, you know, stuffed to the gills into your feet. But at the same time, like you said, they are temperamental. And I was just kind of curious on, you know, early green, you know, in certain areas at the springtime, like it's still maybe difficult to call. I, I think it, I think it is difficult. I mean, it's difficult to call, even when there's not a lot of food around. But it it's it can still be productive. Yeah. Um, and so f- like for me, it, it, and especially over in the blues or a, an area that is very large and broken but fairly open, like you can see quite a ways in the blues compared to, yep. for example, Western Washington. For me, I will let the sound do the walking for me. Um, you know, similar to what you're doing with glassing, I will predator call down into a, a, a draw or a rocky cavern, you know, or, uh, rocky uh, uh, valley, anything like that where that sound can carry out and just see if I can break anything loose and then put glass on it um, if I'm not seeing nothing, if it looks like it holds bare for me. Um, and I'll do the same for western Washington. Now, it might not always break something loose, Um but again, it's you. You're, you want to just pique their predator interest, um, and so when when people first start calling, really quick, this kind of pertains to that. It doesn't have to sound perfect, like with elk. Elk kind of know, you know, you want to sound real natural with elk. I, I think you would probably tend to agree with that. And with bear, yep, yep. you're just trying to spark that predator interest. Like, what is making that noise, and can I kill and eat it? Um, and so a lot of new callers, they'll come to me and be like, you know what? I, I sound horrible. I don't sound good. You know, I don't sound anything like a rabbit. Well, Hey man, don't worry about it. Like I predator called in bear in Alaska using a, you know, a jackrabbit call and there's not a jackrabbit within a thousand miles of there. So yeah, yeah. It, 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 the point is, is to pique their interest. Um, and you know, it, it it's, it, it's a nice way to break up the possibility of being unsuccessful. So if you're sitting there and you're watching a Canyon and you're glassing and glass and you're not seeing nothing and you're thinking about packing up and leaving and we'll spend an hour there and, and predator call and see if something's not hidden down in those crevices and whatnot, because they, yep. they can be hidden down in, you know, the easiest of spots that you would never think a bear was. Um, yep. For example, I, I was bear hunting in the fall and I, I hopped up in this power line cut Um you know, there was blackberries all over the place. And I thought, well, I'll just predator call into this tree line. And so I started predator calling. And within five minutes, there was a color phase bear within like 40 yards of me. I had no idea that thing was even there. And if yeah. I wouldn't have called, the wind could have shifted. It could have smelled me. You know, I, I might not have ever known that bear was even there. So it can be very handy just to predator call. Yeah, we were over in the Dayton, um, had a big uh, dark brown, uh, you know, boar probably at a thousand, 1100 yards. And we really didn't have, you know, a little bit too far out of shooting distance for sure. And we didn't have many options. There was no way to get closer, basically a solid wall, of, uh, you know, a timber Canyon between us. And 
I hit uh, just a calf call that I had um, on my bino harness and that bear looked, we did another series and that thing literally came like bolting straight at us and we picked him up a couple more times in the timber as he approached. Uh, we did sit there for another 45 minutes. The bear never showed, but um, at least it gave us hope, right? Because at that point you had no other option during that that spot and stock hunt. But by having the predator call, we watched that bear break and literally sprint, you know, at least the first 400 yards directly at us. And then, you know, ultimately he didn't show up. He got distracted somewhere across in the canyon, but it was just, you know, the ability to add to our spot and stock um, where there was really no other option to be successful anyways. It's a handy tool. And, you know, for me, like if I'm, if I'm not seeing something, if I'm getting bored, I'll definitely just break out the predator call. I don't really care where I am. I'll break it out and just see what comes in. Yeah. After three years of work, our follow-up to the Meat Eater Fish and Game Cookbook is here. It's the Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, wild game recipes for the grill, smoker, campfire, and camp stove. Here is your book for everything that's best cooked or eaten outside, from grilling to open fire cooking to Dutch ovens to smokers to barbecue to backpacking meals to how to pull off the perfect fish fry with pit stops along the way for lessons about Ice Age cooking methods and the best five ways to construct a cooking fire you can be proud of. And of course, we're focusing on wild game and fish here with over 100 recipes, including stuffed venison burgers three ways, wild duck with ahi verde sauce, a jerky made with cola, a gin and tonic made with fire charred lemons, and grilled frog legs made with a sticky sweet sauce. This ain't your normal cookbook, so be prepared to be surprised. Get your copy now. For more info, visit TheMeatEater.com or buy it wherever books are sold. Let's talk about the setup specifically. So we figured out the area. We know there's bears in the area. Like, what are you looking at? For as far as like where you're going to sit down and where you're going to, you know, start your calling. I, I'm, I'm going to have to assume, you know, similar to any other calling, you want good vantage. Um, you want to be able to shoot in multiple directions with this, uh, you know, a steady rest. But are you looking for this bear to come in, you know, 30, 40 yards bow range? Are you, you know, depending on the season and the weapon, like are you just trying to make sure that you have a, a really good shot when he comes in? Like what does your setup look like? Um, and then you base like the way that bears tend to come in like do they have a tendency to come in certain ways and are you trying to uh, account for that in your setup yeah so it, it depends on the territory so for example if i'm if i'm over in eastern washington and i'm elk hunting um that's a fairly open ish type of area i can see a lot longer distance and so my shot might be you know further than in western washington but for me i want vantage so i want like a good rocky outcropping or i want a brush pile in in western washington usually like a stump pile i can climb up on and then tuck myself into and that kind of serves as twofold one you can see a little bit further throughout the brush and two if you're on a stump pile with brush and whatnot you're going to hear if something's coming up behind you um, and so it serves as kind of a protection as well. Although I've never been jumped, but I've had bear and cougar close enough. Um, so I want to be elevated. I want the wind, actually. So some people may think this is counterintuitive, but I, I, I would prefer no wind or very little wind or a crosswind. But if the wind is, 
is blowing to my back, I want my shot lanes in that direction. I don't necessarily want the wind in my face. And the reason I say that, especially with calling, is that predators, they'll, they'll circle to try to get your wind. So if there's a predator in front of you and the wind's blowing in your face, it might circle behind you. You might never even see it. Um, yep. Lot, lots of times predators, they'll, they'll get that downwind. So you want your shooting lanes to be downwind. And I get that information from the late great, well, he's not late, um, but the Mr. Randy Anderson from uh, Calling All Coyotes, Primos. Um, that's what he suggested. And that's kind of how I started off um, predator calling. So you want those shooting lanes downwind. If you have a shooting partner, kick them off to your side, left or right. But, you know, for safety reasons, know where they're at. Um, another guy available if you're predator calling is very handy because it's another set of eyes. And there has been numerous situations where I have been predator calling and totally thought I didn't call anything in. And the guy to my left or right spotted it coming in because the, the bear was smart enough to stay hidden from me making my noise. Um, and I've taken bear that way. My brother killed a bear up in the snow. Um, I called two bear in and one came right behind me like 15 yards. I never saw it. And then another one uh, up on a tree line further up behind me. My brother ended up taking that one. But both of those bears, I would have had no idea that I called them in if I didn't have a second shooter there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so you want a vantage point, shooting lanes. And most of the time when I shoot a bear, it's well under 100 yards, usually under 50. Um, mo- a lot of my shots are 20 yards or, or less, and that's not necessarily on purpose. It's just kind of what happens. Um, a lot of the areas I call into are, are brushy. I like to call into that stuff because the bear are hidden, um, but you have to call them in close to get a shot. Uh, just last summer, I was predator calling with my son, and he was he was in front of me. I was on this uh, stump that was like 12 feet in the air, so I was sitting on that thing calling. The boy was in front of me, but we were in a, a brushier area to where we only had a couple of shooting lanes, not a lot. And I actually wanted to kick him off to my left, um, but I wanted to keep an eye on him because he's still a new hunter, and I wanted to make sure everything went good. Um, so I, I really just put him out in front of me. Anyway, I predator called, and this this bear came in to about 20 yards, almost just to our left, and started shaking a tree and getting all aggressive and stuff. But we, unfortunately, we couldn't get a shot just because there wasn't a shooting lane that way. Um, but, you know, lots of times, predator calling for me, they'll, they'll come in under 100 yards easy. Sometimes 50, sometimes closer. You know, last year I had several bear under 20 yards. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let's get into the, my favorite part of it is, is what calls are you going to use and then calling your cadence. And then we touched on it a little bit, but how long do you sit? How long do you call for? And then how long do you wait from your last call before you change, um, sit? So like you, I kind of followed Mr. Wayne Carlton and that's, that's what I've stuck with. It's, uh, there's a DVD out there called they come to eat. And he talks about predator calling bear and, and cougar and stuff. And so I like to call for about an hour and then I'll sit there for another 20 minutes or so, depending on if my butt's completely asleep and if my knees want to work. Um, yep. <laughs> so the cadence, we'll start off with that. Uh, I got this from Randy Anderson. He always said, build, build a scenario in your head. And so, you know, with, with a cadence, I'll start out kind of quiet. And so that means that your sound isn't going super far, but it's going out a little ways. And you don't want to necessarily start off with like your full lung power because you might blow animals out. But if you start off kind of quiet, 
that's pushing that sound out and that might draw them in. And then just as time progresses, you increase the, the distress or the frequency or the crying and the volume of that. So as, as time goes on, you increase that volume and the distress. And then right before you are going to stop, I will either trail off like I'm dying real slow. And so I'll go back to being very, very quiet. And then I'll just be quiet the rest of the time. Or I'll just completely drop it off like I've died. So there's a couple different scenarios. Um, sometimes I will, I will do like a, a fawn distress, rabbit distress, whatever it may be. And I'll throw in a coyote yip or a coyote howl or a coyote distress with it. Um, I've had animals hang up with just a standard, you know, rabbit call. And then I throw in that, uh, coyote distress and, you know, the bear just comes barreling in because maybe he's heard standard rabbit calls before and got educated, but, but that coyote whimper put him at ease and he wanted to come in and see what was going on. So switch it up a little bit. Um, sit there for an hour, do that, do that cadence like I was saying. And and as far as what calls I'm bringing, um, you know, I relate this to when car alarms first came out. And this kind of puts my age, you know, ages me or whatever. But when car alarms first came out, <laughs> when you heard one in a parking lot, you'd be like, oh, man, there's a car alarm. Like someone's car is getting broken into. And then six months later, no one cared because everyone's car alarms were going off and everyone had already heard it. So yep. if everyone in the world is blowing a rabbit distress or a cottontail distress, Lots of predators are probably educated to that. Um, so switch it up. Try, you know, I, I actually went and bought uh, just a couple days ago a, um, a coon squaller. So I'm going to try to do some coon squalling for bear. Um, try different things. Try, you know, a, a, a pig squeal, um, anything, goat distress, whatever you can think of that's different, that is a nasty sound that might get a predator coming in use that. I mean, I use rabbit calls, don't get me wrong, but you know, like I said at the beginning, the first time I called a bear in, it was with a calf call. And that was just kind of a, yep. you know, eh, eh, just kind of a, a lonely call. But it got that bear coming in. Um so switch it up. Don't don't be shy about trying something new as far as predator calls go. Yeah, and and like I said, the majority of all of the bears that you know, myself or all my buddies have called in and killed have just came in during elk season to a calf call or a cow call, you know, or, or a, me, me blowing both of those calls. And, you know, they usually come in very slow. They're, they're picking the, the ground apart. And, you know, the only reason I, I'm able to spot them, if I wasn't paying attention, they'd be very, very tough to spot. Um, but, you know, they're coming in cautiously, but I'm looking for an elk to come in because usually if I'm actively calling, um, you know, but those bears are coming in, you know, typically, you know, very slow, very cautious. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I try to like figure it out in my head. Why, you know, if, if there's a calf there, like, are they, is something already there? Is there already another, you know, uh, a more dominant predator there? Um, you know, are they sneaking in to just kind of, uh, uh, you know, assess the situation before they, they fully commit. But, um, yeah, all of our, all of our bears that we've killed, um, behind a call have come from, you know, calf specifically. And that's because we're out there, doing a different activity, the bears are just kind of a byproduct of calling for elk. And, and sitting after that you've called, so say you, say you call for an hour and you're, you're done calling. It is important to sit there for another 10, 15, 20 minutes if you can. Um, and I, I give this information, but sometimes I don't follow it. And the last time I didn't follow it, I was elk hunting, but I wasn't having much luck with elk. So I went predator called and then I'd been there for like an hour. I was calling down into this rocky ravine, um, 
and nothing came in. I'm like, all right, I'm going to hike back. You know, it's like 10, 15 minutes to my truck. And it was kind of shaped like a U. I had to go around this little gully. So by the time I get to my truck and I start driving down the road, I can see a, a color-faced bear barreling down like right toward where I had just called. And I think if I would have just sat there another 10 minutes, because I didn't, I didn't sit around. I just called for an hour and then I left. If I would have just stayed there for that 10, 15 minutes, I could have had a shot at that bear. Um, and one other quick tip too, I forgot to mention, like when I first sit down and I'm, I'm getting ready to predator call, I will take five, 10 minutes to let things kind of settle down around me. If I made a bunch of noise going in and I will take the time to memorize as best I can features around me, um, stumps, brush, things like that. Um, so I know if it changes, you know, sometimes a bear will crawl up on top of a stump and look at you. And, you know, you, in your mind, you're looking for a bear on the ground. You might miss a bear standing on a stump. Um, another really good tip that I tell people, too, is if you're predator calling and you hear birds or squirrels going nuts like a couple hundred yards out. And then a few minutes later into your call, more squirrels are going crazy like closer, you know, maybe 50, 70 yards closer and then closer and then closer. Pay attention to that. Focus your viewing in that direction because squirrels, like every deer hunter knows, sound alarms as you walk through the woods. And they'll do that with bear. They'll do that with predators. And there's been numerous times where squirrels and birds have tipped me off like, hey, that squirrel 300 yards out, he's not yelling at me. He's yelling at something that's right within his eyesight. And now a 200-yard squirrel is, is barking. It's cueing you into that thing walking in. So pay attention to that. And that, that bear that my I called in with my son that was shaking the tree at 20 yards, there were uh, magpies and stuff going absolutely nuts at the tree line prior to that bear coming in. And I said, hey, Hayden, there's there's something coming in. That Those, those birds are tipping us off. And sure enough, that thing came right in. And those birds gave us the hint. So pay attention to that. That's an important tip. Yeah. That's a, that's a great tip. Um, specifically on calls, have you used uh bear cub very much or tried it? And, and I've always thought it could potentially if done right or in the right area would work really well because I think you could pull in both the boars and the sows, but I was just kind of curious because, you know, a bear cub in distress, those, those boars are out there trying to kill those cubs so that the, you know, the sow will come back in that year um, versus the sows, you know, having the motherly instinct to come and check it out, even if it maybe isn't their cub. Have you ever had any success using bear cub, you know, squalls uh, specifically, or is that that kind of a noise you kind of stay away from and just, you know, stick to the rabbit and, you know, the other sounds? Wait, are you telling me that dad bears and mom bears and baby cubs don't live together in a nice little family unit? Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll save that. We'll save that, that uh, conversation for a, a different day. But yeah, I, I think a lot of people want us to think that that's how bear families are, but uh, no, we're, we're going to, we're going to stick to the fact that the, you know, the bear dad wants to kill the bear baby so that, <laughs> He can uh, procreate with the bear mom. Oh, okay. I was just clarifying. I had no idea that that's okay. really what yeah, happened. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have a bear cub squall. Um, I don't really use it. Not to say that I'm against it. I just haven't. Um, I think I bought it last year or the year before. And so, you know, a lot of the calls I have, they're custom calls from like custom call makers. Like they're made out of elk horn yep. or, or antler. Um, they're honed or whatever. Different different tunes to them. Um I'm not against it. I just haven't used it. Uh, but I, I, I really think they sound very similar to a lot of the calls I'm using. They might be a little yep. more deeper, a little more throaty, like the cub squall kind of is. 
Um, yep. But I, yeah, I just I haven't used it. Gotcha. Yeah, and I I've watched you know uh, tons and tons of YouTube videos of bear cub distress, and and I'm fully convinced that with most of my jackrabbit um, you know tunes and voices that I can make the same thing just by changing the length of it. You know, you stretch those that bear cub squall out a little bit. You're not so quick like the jackrabbit and um, just something I was curious if, if anybody's been using bear cub, you know, very, very successfully. It just seems like some of the YouTube videos I've watched where you have both, you know, the, the boars and the, the sows coming in, you know, a lot of times it's around bait. Um, so you're able to like see all these bears interact to each other in very close proximity. But usually when that cub starts to, to squall, you know, the, every, every bear in earshot comes, you know, relatively yeah. close. So it seems, seems like in theory it would work. I just, I've never went out there specifically and tried it. A couple other things that popped in my head too that I, I want to share with the audience is, um, you know, rabbit lungs are very small compared to a human set. And so if you're wailing on a call, I always tell people to try to make it, you know, sound realistic as best you can, but you know, it, it's really just to pique their interest, but you know, so do a, do a short little, you know, squall with it. Don't go, you know, don't yeah. use all that lung power because a rabbit's not going to have that. Um, and the other thing too is is put heart into it. And when I say that, you know, make it sound hurt and lonely. Don't just blow on the thing with no sort of passion to it. Put a little quiver into your, into your voice, into your throat when you're doing that. So, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And then one other key thing too is like people are like, man, you call for an hour straight. Well, yeah, I'm sitting there for an hour, but I might call for, you know, a minute or two very steadily or pretty steady. And then I'll pause for 30 seconds to a minute. Now, listen, because most of the time I, I hear bear long before I see him. Um, and so I'll listen for for anything cracking, you know, branches breaking, any of that stuff. So it's not you're not blowing on that thing straight for an hour there are pauses in it don't feel like you have to run yourself out of breath um predator yep. call and bear yeah um and then you know most states well i don't want to say most some states you can bait in and one thing that we've always found even last year i got to hunt behind um some dogs and the the guy we hunted with didn't run baits, but he had mentioned like a lot of um, guys that are running, you know, paid clients all the time. They're using, you know, baits to kind of concentrate the bears. And then, you know, they're running their dogs by the baits on the road, you know, to get those started. That's also another tip. If if you're in an area where you can bait, um, it, it won't hurt to get the bears concentrated if you, in fact, want to go out there. Um, and call one in, but it may be just as easy, especially if they're on a bait, just to sit sit over your bait. If your goal is just to kill a bear, right. you're probably going to have better odds, you know, sitting the bait. And and those bears are typically going to be pretty full with you know sugars and breads and whatever else they're getting. No, absolutely. Um, well, last thing, last point I wanted to to touch on is uh, how often do you glass bears and then move into column, or are you not that picky? Is it not that important that you call in a bear if you if you glass them and can shoot them like your work's done? Or how, how many times have you glassed bears, went over to their hillside, or made them move and then tried to call them in? And then what can you say as far as like you know people that are going going to go out there and try it? Like what is their success going to be um, doing that? Where they go and glass a bear, they know one's in the area. Um, it's, it's obviously got to help their odds in calling in a bear, but like, what are the chances that that goes, goes in their favor when they go over there to call it in? So last summer, last bear season, last fall, 
I had a particularly good call ratio. I was about 40%, 30 to 40% um, of me sitting down calling. I would call bears in. And normally I'm around 20% um, that I see, that I see bears. Now, lots of times you might be predator calling. You might not see something that comes in or it might hang up, um, that type of thing. But those are my percentages. As far as me visually seeing a bear, um, depending on where it is, like if it's across the canyon or something, I might predator call to it to see if I can't get it closer just because I don't want to have to hike it across the canyon. Um, you know, yep. if, if I can get it closer to where it's a it's an easier pack out, I'm definitely going to try that. Um, lots of times if I see a bear, I will try to put a stock on it if it's open enough, like if it's in eastern Washington. If it's in western Washington, usually the brush is so thick um, where I'm where I'm at that I might see a bear in a in a pocket across a gully, but you know there's so many downfall or down logs and brush and everything else it would be just uh, counterintuitive to try to get down to it. So I'll try to predator call to it. Um, that can be successful. The last couple of years I have been very choosy about the bears um, I would take. I have I prior to last year I hadn't killed a bear in a couple of years. I'd been involved in it, and my son got one, and et cetera, and so forth, but I'm specifically looking for a, a, a certain color. Um, and I took the one last year because the, the area I was in had so many freaking predators in it. There was All I had was bear and cougar all over my trail camera. I had a couple of deer, um, but so I decided if I see a bear in here, I'm taking it, just to, just to ease yeah. predators. Um, but, you know, you, you get better at things the more you try it. And so if, if a guy is, is predator calling is not having a lot of luck, just, just keep plugging away at it. Um, you'll get better. You'll learn more. Um, I would say, personally, if you're a beginning bear hunter and you see a bear and it's in a stockable position, I would try to stock it first. Um, if it is a lot of brush or a lot of uh, stuff in the way that you think you're going to spook the bear or, or whatnot, hop on that predator call. And like you said, that bear that broke loose at how a thousand yards or whatever it was and came barreling toward you guys. That's a prime example of that call worked. Um, yep. Now you, you might not have got a shot, but who's to say, you know, if, if it was you and your buddy, you could be like, Hey, I'm going to stay here in predator call. You head down to that tree line and hopefully he'll get into that tree line. Try to come up to me. You know, you can, you can formulate a plot against that, that bear and, and try to get a shot. Yeah, for sure. Um, sure. I would just encourage, yeah, people just to carry one with them. It just—it's just an added tool that is very, very useful in certain situations. I'm going to end it here with one last question, dear Doug. Let us hear your your number one tip for new hunters out there. For new hunters, find food, find the bears, and for predator calling. Give yourself time. So you got to think, if your predator calling down into a valley, you got to think how long it's going to take for that bear. Say it's on the far side of the valley. How long it's going to take that bear to get from point A to you to point B. And I, I forgot to mention this earlier, but it's a very important tip when calling. So when you're playing with a kitty, a kitty cat, and you are you know using the string, and the cat's all interested while the string's moving and batting it around, and then you stop playing with that string and you just put it down, the cat loses interest. Bear are very, very similar with the sound. That's why you want to keep the sound going as much as possible during the call set because I have noted that bear 
really only walk or move lots of times, not every time, but lots of times, they will be moving while you're making that sound. And then when you stop blowing on the call, it will sit down or, or it will pause. And so think in your head, hey, every time I'm calling, maybe that bear that's across the valley is walking toward me. You have to give it enough time to get to you. So that keys into the patience, I guess. But I guess number one is find food, find bears, and be patient when calling. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast, Doug, and uh, good luck this uh, spring and fall on on your bear hunts and uh, look forward to see how you do. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Oh, and just real quick, I just wanted to thank Meat Eater as well for – taking the time to put in that petition for spring bear for Washington hunters. I know that uh, they didn't have to do that, but they did. And so I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, yeah, it was crazy times, but um, hopefully we can get that spring bear season back. I don't even, I I've been so busy lately. I haven't uh, um, kept track, but by the time this uh, podcast comes out, I guess we'll know whether we have a spring bear season or not. Um, But yes, well, thanks a lot, Doug, for joining us today. Really appreciate all your knowledge on you know everything black bear hunting, uh, especially when it comes uh, to calling. And uh, good luck out there this spring and fall bear hunting. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate the uh, invite, and I wish the best for all new uh, predator callers. Good luck. Yeah, thank you. Have a good one. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. After three years of work, our follow-up to the Meat Eater Fish and Game Cookbook is here. It's the Meat Eater Outdoor Cookbook, wild game recipes for the grill, smoker, campfire, and camp stove. Here is your book for everything that's best cooked or eaten outside, from grilling to open fire cooking to Dutch ovens to smokers to barbecue to backpacking meals to how to pull off the perfect fish fry with pit stops along the way for lessons about Ice Age cooking methods and the best five ways to construct a cooking fire you can be proud of. And of course, we're focusing on wild game and fish here with over 100 recipes, including stuffed venison burgers three ways, wild duck with ahi verde sauce, a jerky made with cola, a gin and tonic made with fire-charred lemons, and grilled frog legs made with a sticky sweet sauce. This ain't your normal cookbook, so be prepared to be surprised. Get your copy now. For more info, visit TheMeatEater.com or buy it wherever books are sold.